0: Good morning. I am Shane. I get to introduce myself so I can say whatever I want. And uh, I'm a famous guy from the internet. No, I'm not. I'm Shane. I... uh i uh, lived here in West Lafayette for the last year and a half. I actually have pastored a church about an hour and a half north of here in the middle of hillbilly country uh, for the last 10 years. And uh, moved down here about a year and a half and um, have become friends with Dave and Jess Shockey. And they've introduced me around here to some of your wonderful leaders. I would claim that they're my friends, but they'll probably stand up next week and say not. But anyway, um, so it's been fun to meet Ken and Ralph and some others around here. And uh, so they asked me to just continue on with this uh, series of First Kings today. Uh, so I'm excited to be with you guys and excited to just be able to um, learn um, uh, from our story and to let God kind of work on us in a way that just helps us grow and know Him better. And uh, so we're going to do that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Kings chapter 17. Uh, Rob started off the series last week uh, on Elisha and Elijah. And um, the naturally supernatural work of God. And we're using this story, I guess you guys are using this story, and I'm going to try to jump in on that today. Uh, But we see that in the midst of um, kind of a dark time, uh, in the midst of some things not going so well, uh, that God's still at work. And uh, I think he kind of says, that he just keeps getting, it. Rob's mentioned something, or at least in his notes. Uh, he mentioned something about it getting worse and worse and worse. And, and the reality is, is you're going to kind of see some things that don't get better for a while. But in the midst of that, God's countercultural kingdom is at work. And he's doing some little things, uh, and actually some big things as well, uh, that are causing his kingdom to take root in different ways, even in the midst of some very dark and difficult days. And uh, so it's an encouraging thing that actually in the midst of no matter what we're facing, uh, God's at work and He's doing something big and wonderful. And even though we don't see it or may not experience the fullness of it where we're at, um, we can, I guess, look at things a bit differently and see them a bit differently. So are you in uh, 1 Kings 17 there? Uh, let's read this together starting at verse, we're going to pick it up at verse 7. Uh, sometime later... The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he, and this is talking about Elijah, went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, "'And bring me, please, a piece of bread.' "'As surely as the Lord your God lives,' she replied, "I do not have any bread, "'only a handful of flour in a jar "'and a little oil in a jug. "'I'm gathering a few sticks to take home "'and make a meal for myself and my son "'that we may eat it and die.' Elijah said to her, "'Don't be afraid. "'Go home and do as you have said, "'but first make a small cake of bread for me.' From what you have and bring it to me, then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jar of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, "What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? "Give me your son," Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. Pretty cool story, isn't it? In the midst of some difficulty, some awesome things happening. So this morning we're going to look at the work of God in unlikely ways, in unlikely places, In and through unlikely people, all right? Um, So, we're gonna look at some of those things and bring them out as we go through this passage. Uh, But one of the things we notice right away is that just because God's at work doesn't mean all the difficulties go away, does it? Uh, There's still some difficulties that are taking place. Not everything gets better instantly. Um, I don't know, but as you go through this, you're going to see that Elijah an awful lot probably like you and I, that he's prone to despair and disappointment at times, and you think, this guy's getting kind of depressed and, and not doing so well, is he going to make it? Uh, because things aren't exactly like he would like them to be. So Ahab and Jezebel are going to rule over Israel for like 22 years. Um, that's a long term to serve if you're not in a very great leader, all right? Um, not only was he not a great leader, but I mean, it went from um, the only worship that was allowed to happen in the nation of Israel, in the northern tribe of Israel, uh, was to Baal. Uh, Yahweh couldn't even be worshiped anymore. And so that's what type of leader, that's what type of days it is. Um, so in the midst of God being at work, what we do notice is that everything doesn't get better overnight. And I assume that if Elijah is anything like you and I are... Um, we could be prone to thinking, uh, come on, God, a little help here. I mean, I appreciate the food coming through the ravens. That's a really awesome thing. If we read that last week, if you're here with Rob, like that's really awesome, but it is roadkill. And, and the fact that I got some water out of a brook, that's great stuff, but like now it's drying up. I mean, couldn't I just have a little something to wash down the fresh roadkill you're bringing me? Um, or, or, you know, 22 years of this guy, Really? Seriously? I mean, have you seen the tweets he's putting out? This is ridiculous. I mean, uh, come on. Uh, I I assume that uh, that part of him had to be stirred to this, God's at work, but man, there's still an awful lot of difficulty and hard time. In fact, Elijah has to flee basically as a refugee to an area that's inhospitable. Uh, He's standing before kings in ministry, yes, but like the king doesn't like him so much, so he has to take off. Uh, He's by himself. He's alone. If he's anything like you and I, my guess is there was this discouragement that can set in at a time like that. Are you with me? You ever had that happen in your life? Like God's at work, but like a friend would be nice. I'm longing for a deep relationship right here, and it's just not happening come on, God, or maybe you've received a revelation of Christ and made a commitment to Christ and your family hasn't yet, and you've been trying to convince them, like, hey, he's good news, and they just don't get it. Well, I think we're not alone because what we see is, is that in Elijah and in the rest of Scripture that God is at work, but it doesn't mean things get better right away. Not that everything goes our way. It doesn't mean Elijah gets to end up on the Mediterranean at a nice beach resort, Right? In fact, he's in quite the opposite direction. But it's in the midst of that that we still see God do some wonderful things. But Elijah's posture in the midst of things not going well was apparently that he still could at least stop giving his list to God. Term limit on the president here. Oh, God. Uh, if you could deal with Ahab in that way or, or a little water to wash down, he was at least able to slow down giving his list enough and listen to the living God to hear God say, hey, this is where I'm sending you, Elijah. might be good encouragement for us. Are you with me? That in the midst of some of those things, and we're kind of, oh, I wish this would happen. Oh, I wish this would happen in my life right now, to maybe stop for a second and say, all right, God, where are you moving? Where are you wanting to send me at this moment in time? Uh, Where are you going to provide for me next? Because I have known you as my provider over and over already. You've led me to this point. I'm I'm ready. I'm all ears. I'm waiting for where we're heading in the next direction, God, so I can respond to you. Um, So I think that's one of the first things that we can see in the midst of God working in unlikely ways. That red is really horrible, isn't it? (laughs) Holy cow. All right. But in the midst of... God working in unlikely ways. Don't be fooled. You and I, let's not be fooled that God's not working just because everything isn't going great overnight because God is still working in unlikely ways. And if we believe that, uh, we might respond differently. Let me read this to you since um, it's not the best for your eyes. But he says this in um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul says, "'But he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for my power is made perfect in your weakness.'" Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Thank you. You're awesome. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Instead of maybe asking God, I wish you would really whisk all this away. Maybe there's something great he wants to do in the midst of our inability to change things, in the midst of our suffering and hardship, that actually that's a place where he's going to show himself even greater. Uh, About two years ago when we moved here, um, my wife and I became, my wife did, actually I didn't become pregnant for the first time, but she became pregnant for the first time. First time in 16 years. We were excited. Threw a little party with the kids. But it didn't go quite how we expected it still hasn't quite gone how we've wanted it to go at this moment. And we're in the midst of walking through that. But you know what we can say? That in the midst of some of this most difficult time, God has worked and moved. Not in the ways necessarily we were always praying, but often in times we weren't actually even praying, in areas we weren't even praying or expecting, He's worked and moved. In fact, we moved here to spend time with neighbors who would never come to church or go to a Bible study or those type of things. We live with all your professors on North Chauncey there. And, um, and I, to be honest with you, I've, I've had absolutely no faith when I moved in for him. And then we go from trying to spend tons of time and trying to, like, connect, and this is a great season, come over where the new people on the block come to our house. And this happens, and we end up in the hospital back and forth, struggling as a family, but it's in that time that God actually did more with the hearts of our neighbors than any of the times where we were having them over for a great meal that we tried to cook for them, showing great hospitality, trying to have great conversation. It was actually in the midst of some of those most difficult times that God opened the hearts of some of our neighbors. Can I encourage us that in our weakness He's strong, that He's good news, even in the bad times, not just when you get a front row spot uh, in front of the den to go grab your Coke. He's good news all the time. And that it's in the midst of some of those times of suffering that God's at work. And so if we're not careful, we could miss, or we could be lulled into thinking that, you know what? Uh, He hasn't quite answered these prayers yet. He's not on the move. Instead of, wait a second. He probably's moving in ways I didn't expect right now. And though even though this might be painful in other ways, I'm going to open myself up to that reality. Are you with me on that? Has that ever happened to anybody here where things haven't quite gone? But I think one of the things we can learn is let's posture ourselves like Elijah. Uh, the disciples struggled with this, didn't they? Uh, Jesus said, "Who do people say that I am?" And then they turns the question on his disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" And they, Peter nails it. He gets it right. He's like, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And he says, "You awesome Peter, I'm going to build my church on this revelation, and, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well done, God's shown that to you that hasn't been revealed by man." And then he tells them that he's going to go and suffer many things and die, and Peter says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how it works. Life is breaking in, right? Things are happening. Surely it's not going to be that way. And Jesus has to say to him, you don't have the mind of Christ on these things. You don't have the mind of God on these things. Get behind me, Satan. That's not the revelation. Just because things aren't awesome and triumphal in the way you think doesn't mean it's not the way my father's going to work. So you and I, too, uh, would do well if we can have a posture like Elijah in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty that, hey, God, where are you working? What are you doing so that we can join in with you and see what happens? And you know what that, we recognize in the midst of that? It's not us anyway, is it? Is it God at work or is it us at work? We get to join in, right? But who really makes the big difference? Who changes heart? Who brings life? Him, right? He's the one. He speaks and universes are created. He's the one. And so it shows us that it's not dependent on us sometimes in the way we think anyway or us being on top of the world or who's in whatever, on whatever throne or in whatever office, right? It's based more on Him than on us. So if I can encourage us in the midst of hardship, let's be careful to recognize that God is strong even in our weaknesses when we can do absolutely nothing, nothing about our situation. And let's remember as well, all right, that it really doesn't depend on you and I. Yes, there's this joint cooperation that we get to have, but it's not based on our skill. It's more based on our obedience and our joining in with what God's doing. Amen? I mean, because has this thing really been dependent on Elijah? Did he, is he the one that trained the birds to bring the roadkill into him? Is he the one that said, this is how you handle the jar of flour and the jar of oil, lady, so that it never runs out? That would be great, wouldn't it? Try that with your gray house coffee cup next week, All right. See, you set it on your, your table in the morning, see if it's full of hot coffee waiting for you. Um, that would be great, or for a gas tank at least, right? But it's not, it's not us. It would be God doing those things, right? Are you with me? And so these things that start to creep in our mind like comparison, where that come from, right? Anybody ever tr- struggle with comparison, right? It's not us. It's us responding to him and what he's doing even in the bad, even in the good, and allowing him to bring his life. God's been teaching me some massive things in regards to this lately. Uh, Because, again, life's been a little bit better. We've kind of recovered from some of what's happened with our family and the disappointment in God and starting to reach out again. And the other day I felt God tell me, um, you're doing an awful lot, but you're not actually putting an awful lot of faith in me doing things with your neighbors. And he'd been on me about praying, because I just I'm an activist, so I just get on and do it. I want to just spend time with neighbors. If I can go out and talk to them, I just go talk to them. And I choose that over prayer almost every day in my life. And I know God's been on my case about that. So when he said that I knew I needed to do something about my prayer life in regards to my neighbors and these people we're trying to reach. Uh, so I took up running, which will increase my prayer life very rapidly uh, because I think I'm gonna die every time I take a step. Uh, And so what I do is I kind of run or jog around and then I end up at one end of my street and just walk up and down my street praying for every one of my neighbors. And you know the amazing thing is as we've kind of identified some neighbors, we really feel like, man, they're on our heart. There's something that God wants to do with them. And some of those people we've had, we just had some conversations with and that's it. We haven't even had a chance to get them in our home. It's not worked that well. They haven't responded to certain things. And within two weeks of praying, as I was just walking up and down the street, this one family who we've talked about many times, we've even served them a little bit, and it hasn't quite ever developed into anything. Walking up and down the street, she stops me in the street, this lady with all these kids around her. She says, hey, we were just talking about you guys, me and my husband, and we wondered if you would come over Friday for a movie. And then maybe this fall, if you would put it on your calendar, we could go camping, just your family and our family. And I was like, wow, (laughs) I should have started praying a long time ago. Come on. See, sometimes I get fooled into thinking it's more about how I talk to the neighbors or what I'm doing with them as opposed to just joining in with what God's doing. And I'm learning to start to slow down and just listen and say, okay, God, what are you doing? And with what neighbors? So that I can join in with what you're doing. You've got to be careful because he will show you things. Uh, I was actually preparing a couple weeks ago. I was going to go away and do some ministry things in Ohio for the whole weekend. And I'm up there, I had like tons of stuff to get done before my kids got home, and I kept feeling this little thing about going and mowing my neighbor's yard. And this is the neighbor that lives right next door to me, and she's probably not been as like open to us as much as the rest of the neighbors even around us. We've never been in her home, she's never been in our home. She says hi more to me than my wife. And, um, and that's kind of the, the end of it, and all. And her mower broke down, and I knew this, and her grass was getting kind of tall, and I knew she was going to have a little party in the backyard, coming up in the weekend, and I just, as I'm typing all my stuff, I just kind of felt like, oh, I know I should do it. I got too much to do. And, and I'm doing all this stuff, and finally it's like, okay, goodness gracious, God, I'll go and do it. And So I go and mow the yard, and by the next night, my wife's at a garden party with my neighbor. I was out of town. Um, the next week, she brings me over a whole big plate of cookies, which is good for my running, um, and, and stays in her house and talks for a good hour. And and now we're in this relationship like we've talked about having each other in and out of our house over the summer because she's longing for a relationship as well. But listen, in the midst of what we're doing, let's not be fooled into thinking that it's all about us. Instead, posturing ourselves to hear from the living God because he's at work. Are you with me? Elijah was able to do that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of some not so fun situations for him. He's able to stop and listen and say, God, what are you doing? Where are you sending me? Where is your provision coming from? He might have been a wine or two. I don't really know. We can't put that on Elijah. He might have struggled, but he is at least receptive enough to know when God started to speak to him. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to follow what you're saying to me, God. I'm going to go. I'm going to speak to her, and I'm going to see you do this in the midst of these situations. Uh, so it's an invitation for us uh, to allow God to do some of those things in our situations, right? In our weakness, He is strong. Are you with me? So let us posture. Can I tell you one more story? I was in, I was in uh, Africa this spring and got a talk with one of our, our church family leaders. is in one of the North African countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. And uh, he was telling me about, I was t- asking about his family, and he, hasn't seen, he hadn't at that point seen his family in a year uh, because he had to send his family off because... Um, it was just getting too dangerous. They were starting to break into his house in the middle of the night and, and threaten him and pull him out. And so he finally, after one of these late nights, he actually started telling me about the, the last night that they these people came in and broke into his house and held him at gunpoint and actually whisked him off. And he said goodbye to his family, thinking it might be the last time he sees his family. And so they whisk him off and they take him to this place where they're um, starting to rough him up pretty bad. And uh, they just gave up for the night and said, we'll deal with you in the morning. And uh, this other Arabic pastor, Arabic speaking pastor, had been with him, <clears throat> uh, asked, what are we going to do now? And uh, his heart posture in this is just absolutely amazing because he said, I looked around and noticed we were the only people in this place that hadn't been shot. And he said, I still told the guy, well, maybe God has us here to pray for these guys. So tonight, let's just pray for them and see what happens. Isn't that a remarkable posture? <laughs> In the midst of being in this difficult situation, I wonder what God's up to. Maybe it has something to do with these other people in need. Let's start there. So if I could encourage us, let's be my my Libyan pastor friend. I'm trying to be that says, I recognize God's at work in the midst of hardship, and I want to see him break in. I want to posture myself to be used by him because it's him and not me anyway. By the way, he was miraculously saved by a journalist who happened to be being rushed through and spoke up for him and put her neck on the line for both of them, and they were rescued the next day. So he did get to whisk his family off and see him, and he's still faithfully serving and they're seeing people come to Jesus like crazy in the midst of some difficulty, in the midst of some hardship. All right, so the work of God is in the midst of unlikely, unlikely ways. Um, Let me just uh, skip ahead here to talking about it's also in unlikely places. Elijah was sent to east of the Jordan, all right? If you do a little research on this or you study Bibles, you'll find out that this was the heartland of Baal worship. In the midst of being sent to the heartland of Baal worship, he was sent to a who? A widow, a Gentile widow for provision. That is what we call an oxymoron, right? Because a widow... In the midst of that culture, it was not a place of provision. It was a a person that was in need, that had no means of provision. So God sends him to the heartland of Baal worship to a widow for his provision to be made. I would say that's an unlikely place to experience the provision of God, wouldn't you? And it's actually not just in an unlikely widow's home, but it's in a widow who's saying, I'm making my last meal for my son and I. We're getting ready to eat and die And that becomes the place of God's provision. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Sometimes our distinguishing of places, of this is a God place and this is a God-forsaken or godless place, is quite wrong. In fact, it's probably always wrong. Uh, Psalm 24, yeah, you changed it to white, says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Can I read that again to you? The earth is who? The Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, not everybody is acknowledging the Lord at this point in time, but who actually is over it all? And so Elijah, at some stage, at some level, maybe just was actually out of pure desperation and things, I have no other choice, but he says, I'm going to go to the place that seems quite unlikely because God just said, and let's see what happens. And let's see how he moves in the midst of this unlikely place. Let me also read these two passages. For where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am with them. Uh, Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said that. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 3:16. don't you know, this is Paul's words, that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. I can, I can imagine, don't you know? Don't you know there is no godless or God-forsaken places because when God sends us, his people, who's with us? His spirit. And so we're taking him in the midst of these places that we actually sometimes have bought hook, line, and sinker that that's a place where he doesn't go. But he has now, right, at least, because he sent you or I or Elijah in the midst of those places. So let us make sure that we have his vision uh, for what is really a likely and unlikely place, all right? Um, Did you know that the fastest growing church in the world right now is in what country? Ah, no. it's It's been growing like crazy. Iran. Did you know that the church, the second, I think the second or third, depending on which, it's kind of hard to tell in these countries uh, because it's illegal to convert to Christianity, uh, is, is Afghanistan. Second or third. Fastest growing church in the world right now. I know there's not very many of them, but the gospel's breaking in in massive ways where you can't even do that. Let's be careful what we label an unlikely place for a move of God. Because it seems like when we read scripture, that's exactly where it happens. Especially as he sends a few of his people. So you and I maybe when he says, hey, I'm sending you to, huh, it's, like, it's like sending it to Bloomington. I mean, that's got to be, right? The opposite of like a God, it's, it's got to be a very unlikely place, right? But well, maybe if we're there then, God's at work. Are you with me? It's in the unlikely places when he sends his people that he breaks in in awesome ways. Um, it was interesting. I told you a little bit about our, our street. Uh, but when we came down here, to be honest with you, I thought, oh, well, we won't really do much. It's just it's a matter of living close for the, sake of, it's a, for the sake of students being able to walk to our house. That's what I kind of assumed, to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't pick it based on my street, um, being there and ministering to people. But it was interesting. A couple months before we moved down, I felt God say, I'm giving you Main Street. I thought, giving me Main Street? I wonder what that means. I had no idea. I have a couple small businesses. I thought, hey, sweet, maybe they're going to do really good. I'm going to have some money it will make the move a little nicer. I can hire a moving company. I didn't know. Um, but I thought that's what it meant to be giving me Main Street. Uh, We came down uh, because my daughter, actually my daughter also, God spoke to my daughter about moving. She came out of her room. She was nine years old at the time, came out of her room crying one day and said, God just told me we're moving to Purdue on August 3rd. Do we have to go? (laughs) And uh, we said, well, uh, it'd be good to obey God, right? But we haven't quite heard that yet. We were thinking maybe a couple years down the road, but you got our attention, God. God. And uh, so we ended up finding this house because a guy called me at random, asked me if I wanted to buy his house in West Lafayette the same week. My daughter has this, God speak to her about some of these things and and it sends us on this journey of starting to look for a house in West Lafayette Um, and our kind of our thing was let's just get it close enough to campus so hopefully some students can walk to our house. Um, but God had spoke to me about that Main Street thing. So we come down over the 4th of July. I figure there will be a few neighbors out on the street. At least we can meet them. Our kids can maybe see if there's any other kids, and this will help them with the transition. This will be good. Uh, the first neighbor lady that walks by says, hey, welcome to Main Street. I said, what do you mean? This is North Chauncey. And uh, she says, well, actually, back in the day when this was the village of Chauncey, uh, this was Main Street. So you're actually moving on Main Street. So welcome to Main Street. Uh, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Within five minutes as we're walking down the road, talking to one of our neighbors, one of our neighbors tells us, you know, hey, um, um, when we adopted our daughter, um, it was important from her birth mom that she actually said religion was important to her, but we're not religious. We don't know God, and we don't really have any friends that are. So maybe you can introduce our daughter to Jesus. In five minutes. Welcome to Main Street. Unlikely place. I had zero faith for any of our neighbors coming to Christ when we became... It wasn't even on my radar. But listen, it's often in the places where we think, oh, surely that's got to be the hardest place around. That God's at work doing the unlikely in amazing ways. Right? Are you with me? Isn't that good? All right, we'll move on here to unlikely places. Last one. Sorry, I will rush here through this. Uh, Unlikely people... Um, where was Elijah sent? He was sent to the home of a foreigner, right? At that, a Gentile woman foreigner, right? And a widow, which is going kind to of keep adding. And this culture was horrible. One thing, it's kind of the, the least of the least as a whole, right? Uh, women were second-class citizens. Horrible, awful, I know, and, and, but that was the reality of it. They were basically treated as property, especially then um, widows were seen as God-forsaken second-class property because they don't even have a husband anymore, so what good are they in one sense, all right? But it's to this place that Elijah is sent to this gal and that type of situation when the culture viewed her in this way. Very unlikely, right, as far as human eyes see, but it was to her that God was going to work in and through her. And so Elijah sent, let me just read you this passage, and maybe it's in the white, I'll just read it to you off this. Um, But out of Ephesians 2, it says this, As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at once, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. In other words, you were dead, right? You were corpses. You could do absolutely nothing about your situation, Paul tells the, the Ephesians believers, the church that was gathered there. He says, you could do nothing. How many of us then were unlikely people? We were dead. We could do nothing about our situation, but God breaks in and brings life, right? So of course, we need to have a different view of what an unlikely person is because we were all unlikely because corpses can't do anything about their situation. Corpses don't typically come back to life. But it's to that situation, that, that people, those people that God sends Elijah and says, actually, this is where I'm going to do my work. And it's an unlikely situation of a death of a widow's son that, that Elijah is able to say, hmm, God's not done yet. Even with that dead boy, he's not done yet. And there's something in him that knew that, that expected God not to be done yet. Even though there did no resurrections at that point in scripture that we know of, right? That wasn't a normal thing that happened. But yet Elijah had a revelation of God that was big enough that says he's the giver of life. Are you with me? How much more should we have a revelation on this side of Jesus and the resurrection, on this side of stories like Elijah and Elisha seeing dead people raised, on this side of being corpses ourselves that have been risen with him, say, oh my, of course he might be working there, even though that's the most unlikely place. I was at a funeral a couple years ago, about two years ago, for our town marshal. Our town marshal passed away. He had been a bar, he owned several bars in our community, actually, uh, before he came to Christ. And on the other side of Christ, he sold those and, and was just massively active. And in, in a lot of the young people whose lives especially had been ruined, Uh, by alcohol and drugs because of his own journey, and um, he passed away suddenly as as the marshal in our little town, and um, one of the young people that he had given me to work with over the years, because he'd always send young people, and they get in trouble, and it wasn't really bad. If you go meet with my friend or go to any of his Bible studies or events, you can put it towards your community service, (laughs) so so it's a really sweet little small town thing that only small towns can do. Uh, so you're not in trouble if you go over there long, enough times. And so they would come over enough times. And one of those young men was his, was his own grandson, uh, his own grandson who was a meth addict uh, who used to shoot up heroin with his mom. And um, at the funeral, he was actually in jail at the time, very close to being released again. And, and since it's a small community, they all knew his grandpa and served with him and stuff and said, hey, you can get out for the day and um, go to the funeral. And he comes running up to me after the funeral. He says, I think God just, like, got a hold of me. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, why is that? He's like, I feel totally different. And I'm thinking, nah, I've heard this one before, right? Or just because you feel different when you're out for the day of jail, of course you feel different, right? But I just said, look me up when you're out. Uh, you need community. You need a lot of these things. Dah, 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 dah. We will try to be there for you in those ways. And sure enough, the day he gets out, he comes running over. Um, he had his bracelet on, uh, his ankle, uh, but he came running over, and uh, and he had he had, he was giving his life to God, studying the scriptures, uh, wanting to hear from God, wanting real relationship, wanting God to break in. Uh, to this day, he's still that type of guy. I mean, he was he was so messed up on meth. didn't. He? He's missing a bunch of his teeth because he pulled them out one day. while he's on drugs and on these type of things. This is a story. But now, not only is he serving Christ in our church. Uh, but he's got his mom coming and she's coming to Christ and she's made commitments and she's been clean for a long period of time now. Uh, Another one of his buddies who used to, was his dealer that he did drugs with oftentimes, is now coming to Christ to encounter Christ in jail. Uh, He took up a little collection. He asked me if it was okay, like, if I get enough people to buy a car for our buddy here so he can get back and forth to work, would that be okay? Go at it, man. See what you can do. And sure enough, they got him a car. Uh, so he's coming to church on a regular basis. He's, he's being discipled. Um, he's uh, working a regular job. And a very unlikely person in my book, a young man who tried to commit suicide 15 times, captured by God, transformed by God, an unlikely person where God broke in. So let us have eyes of faith, Right? that God is at work in unlikely ways and unlikely places and unlikely people. Are you with me? And let us, like Elijah, step out in faith. Because what we see here is Elijah doesn't just invite the widow to put her faith in God, but he's stepping out in faith and at the same time inviting the widow to put her faith in God at the same time. So let's be those type of followers of Christ. Uh, Let's be like Elijah and be ones that not just tell people where to put their faith, but step out in faith at the same time because we realize where God's at work. We realize that it's these unlikely places, unlikely people and unlikely ways. Amen? Can I pray that over us? Mm. Well, Lord, we we just first, just as we um, are thinking about um, who we were that we also once were dead in our transgressions, we were corpses, but you've made us alive. Uh, we recognize that we were those unlikely people at one point in time. I had no interest at you and in you at all at one point in time, but you pursued me. And Lord, we just thank you for being a God who works in unlikely uh, places and unlikely people, because we're here because of that today. And even as we celebrate communion here in a bit, Lord, we want to recognize your work in us. And we want to thank you for your work in us. And we want to be ones that not just say thank you for it, but, Lord, continue to put our faith in you, Uh, the God who's continuing to work in the midst of hardships, uh, the God who's continuing to work in the midst of things that we don't think would be even possible in any way, shape, or form. And uh, we want to be ones that, like Elijah, are, I guess, quick to listen. Quick to listen to you because what may not make sense to us in our human terms uh, is quite likely with you. And uh, Lord, we want to see your life continue to break in. We want to see it continue to break into us. We want to see it continue to break into other parts of our life that maybe we haven't given you lordship over yet. We want to see it continue to break into our family and friends and roommates, schoolmates, workmates, neighbors on our street that we think might might be quite unlikely that they would ever serve you or follow you. So Lord, we want to be a people of faith that keep responding to you, that keep allowing you to bring your life in the midst of all kinds of difficult situations. We just pray that we would be ones that continue to respond. Continue to say, yes, Lord, uh, even when it's not fun or easy. Realizing that it's obedience to you and response to you that really is going to bring real life. Not our skill, not our great wisdom, but it's you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Amen.